Attention, attention please, stand by for another episode of When Humanists Attack. Hi everybody, this is Vincent and Chris. We are When Humanists Attack, a 501c3 nonprofit registered in the state of Vermont. And we've all got a lot of ground to cover tonight. We are here tonight talking to Kathy Dietrich. So Kathy, welcome. Welcome to the show. Thanks very much. It's a pleasure to be with you. Always happy to, to hear from a, uh, a, another humanist celebrant. All three of us are humanist celebrants, and we are here to discuss the role of the humanist celebrant in a humanist as well as other communities. Uh, all of us are recognized by the Humanist Society, which is closely related to the American Humanist Association. And Kathy happens to be the president. I'm the president of the Humanist Society, adjunct of the AHA, the American Humanist Association. We have our separate mission from the American Humanist Association, but we are connected as an adjunct to them. The Humanist Society was created back in the early 1900s as an offshoot of the Quakers originally. So we are a religious organization and that's what gives us the ability to endorse people with an equivalent to an ordination so that we have standing to do weddings in most all states. We use the word humanist. We don't usually use secular humanist. While we are secular people, um, there are organizations that kind of use that term. And so the AHA and the Humanist Society just use the word humanism or humanist. To be honest with you, I kind of think it's redundant in a way. Sir Thomas More considered himself to be a, a Christian or a Catholic humanist. The reason the term secular humanism came into being is because in the early 1900s, there was what was referred to as religious humanism, which was... Yeah. Um, people who who were in organized religions but espoused humanist values. And so over time, we've moved away from the religious aspect of it um, and so just use the word humanist. I throw the term secular in there because I have had discussions with people uh, about non-secular humanists. I'm perfectly happy if there's a, a theist or a deist or someone who also is a humanist because... Um, except for the God claim and the supernatural claim, we are all for the direction that the society should be taking, social justice and humility and, and working together for just society and all of the, the hallmarks, critical thinking, education, we, we share those. But I have had a number of, of moments in, in the, the last couple of years where not adding the secular had uh, a ramification. So that's why I thought, is there a negative connotation associated within the humanist uh, community that you know of with, with adding that, uh, that adjective? Not, not really negative. It's just that there's, there are other organizations within the broader umbrella of atheists, non-believers, free thinkers, and humanists who use the term secular humanist. For that reason, we just tend to use humanist. Why don't we start with a little bit about your background and what drew you to humanism? This is a second career for me. My first career was in corporate America for 28 plus years. I was a project manager. And when I left that behind, I was really looking to do something that 
was more meaningful to me. And I happened to hit my 25th wedding anniversary around that same time. And I had left religion behind over the years and wanted to do a celebration beyond just a party, but didn't know what that could or should be. So I went looking to see what was out there and I found nothing, frankly, in my local community. So I looked beyond that and found Humanist Celebrants and decided that that was something I wanted to do. Um, about the same time, the Pew Research Organization came out with one of their uh, religion studies on the state of religion in the United States. And it was one of the first times that they were talking about the significant increase in the nuns and the significant decrease in various forms of religion. So I decided that I was probably not the only person that was looking for ways to recognize milestone moments in life that were free of religion and focused more on me or us or you know the people involved in, the, in experiencing that milestone moment. So I was lucky enough to find the Humanist Society and their endorsement process. I also took on some education through the Celebrant Foundation and Institute, which is another nonprofit that trains and educates celebrants, um, not only humanist celebrants, but all kinds of celebrants. Uh. And I put those pieces together and kind of hung out my shingle on the internet as of April 1st, 2010. So I'm coming up on my 11th anniversary as a humanist celebrant. Wow. Uh Congratulations. Uh, yes, congratulations. I just want to point out for, for our viewers that uh, in that uh, list, the nuns, I always see, you know, that girl when I'm, or, or the flying nun when I hear the, that term. So I just want to clarify that's N-O-N-E-S, not N-U-N-S. Their affiliation down on the poll as none. No religion, none. Hence the confusion there. At least unaffiliated with a religious organization. Right. Kathy, you come from a more conventional religious background. For example, I grew up as a, a Roman Catholic. Obviously, it didn't take. Chris uh, grew up in a, a nun household. A secular, secular household. A very common thing here in New York City. Would you like to say anything about your experience with religion that led you or, or pushed you away from it? Mine is similar to yours in some ways, Vincent, because I too was raised in a Roman Catholic household. Ah. So I went through 11 years of Catholic grade school and high school, was married in the Catholic church and had my two children baptized in the Catholic church. And as time went on, I became more and more frustrated with the positions that the Catholic Church was taking that I disagreed with. And I became uncomfortable being what's often referred to as a cafeteria Catholic, where you pick and choose the parts of the religion that you are willing to accept and dis or disregard those that you don't agree with. And I had done that for quite a few years and decided that it didn't feel very authentic to me. So hmm. I started on a personal journey to figure out, okay, if I'm not going to be a Catholic, what am I going to be? And just, you know, looked at a few different religious options and really got down to the basic question of, do I believe that there's a God? And once I crossed that bridge, it was pretty clear to me that I was going to join the ranks 
of the atheists and humanists in the world. And so that's what I did. Did you ever believe in God? And the, the reason I ask is because I never did, not even as a kid, not even as a, a, a small child that I believe in God or, for example, Santa Claus. And, and people have asked me why. And my answer to this is something about the way the grown-ups talked about God was different than the way they talked about the president. So it kind of clued me in that maybe they were, didn't even believe the stuff that they were saying that they believed. So I was just, I'm always curious. The family that I grew up in certainly was a practicing Catholic family, but it was not at all extreme. So we went to church on Sunday morning and we said prayers before meals and those kinds of things, but we were not extreme in the practice of the faith. And what I found in the Catholic Church as a preteen and teenager was a social group. And so I appreciated the social connections that went along with that, that really had nothing at all to do with the religion. And once I moved on to college and then onto my professional life and established my life outside of my, my nuclear family that I grew up with, it didn't take long at all to say, you know, this just doesn't make sense to me. And the Catholic Church in particular has an interesting way of looking at the roles for women and that became more and more of a sticking point for me, as well as some of the, the teachings of the church regarding everything from gay marriage to birth control. There were just so many things that are essentially a part of the Catholic Church that I did not agree with. And so it became clear to me that I needed to leave. Gradually became less and less sustainable. So you found out about humanism? Mostly online wonderful thing for a lot of reasons and I think it's a great way for people to move away from religion honestly because you, there's just so much more that you can become aware of I never heard the word humanism growing up I never knew there was an American Humanist Association I didn't know there were humanist celebrants out there so when you start poking around on the internet you find all kinds of interesting things I'm thinking back to when we were young in New York City in the 70s and 80s. If you wanted to find something out about something that was not in the mainstream, you had to find an arcane bookstore somewhere. You had to right away and wait for someone either to send you back something or not through, mm -hmm. through the mail. This has been a huge change in people's access to, to investigate questions without someone looking over their shoulder. Honestly, that's why we're seeing the rise of the nuns, the N-O-N-E-S, because people have access to information, to good information, as long as they're careful on their sources. Yeah, I need some critical skills there to, to steer clear of certain pitfalls, for sure. You've had this business, you're, you're a celebrant, and you uh, hire yourself out to people to, to be the officiant of various life uh, passages, moments in life that people want to mark marriages and births and, and funerals and things like that. What is the, the breadth of the things that you've been asked to officiate at? Yeah. I've done baby welcomings and baby naming ceremonies. I've done marriages. I've done uh, vow renewals. I've done memorial services, a number of those. The majority certainly are weddings. That's just where most of the demand is. Uh, but I have 
education and interest in doing a lot more than just what I think of as the big three, babies and weddings and memorials. I think we can do a lot with recognizing transitions based on age, milestone birthdays, someone turns 80, someone turns 90. Those are wonderful milestones to recognize. A retirement milestone, someone's closing out a major portion of their identity when they leave their profession behind, and that can be celebrated. Divorces are a really interesting one. There are lots of different ways, if there are children involved or not, if you want to acknowledge it at the beginning of the divorce process or at the end, if you're acknowledging the, the passage with just one member of the couple or with both, all kinds of ways to, to try to make those very painful experiences something that allows people to look forward and to move beyond some of the pain. As you were speaking and you spoke about the big three, uh, I was thinking divorce myself, uh, and I'm glad you covered that because I think that that is a, a passage that families go through that is often not celebrated or looked at as any kind of, you know, stake in the ground, life is going on differently from here, but it, everything that's happening in that, that your life during that time is that. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think, I think it's a great idea. It's, it's my, Chris and I have both done a lot of work with uh, ritual during our 20s and 30s, mostly seasonal, celebrating just the seasons, spring, winter, fall, the points between, and various other passages and, and turns in life. What does ritual provide in the face of these changes in your life? And assuming that you do want a ritual, what would somebody like us, uh, three, the three of us here are all humanist celebrants, what would what would I provide that somebody w might not be able to get by just having their buddy? I, I think I'm getting a little confused because you're using ceremony and ritual pretty much interchangeably. And I for do. me, the ceremony yeah. is, is the capsule and the ritual is an action that takes place within that capsule of the ceremony. Hmm. So, okay. So, so ritual to me is movement and physical expression of that milestone that you are celebrating or commemorating. In terms of why we need ceremony, you know, we're human beings that go back to tribal days of the Neanderthal coming forward. And we always work best in community with each other. And so I think it's really important to gather with your community, however you define that, family, friends, like-minded people, however you want to define it, and gather with those people to recognize the important moment, the important passage that you're experiencing. I think that celebrants bring an intentionality to that. It's like I said before, I didn't want just a party to recognize my 25th anniversary. I didn't want to just get together with friends and family and lift a toast and, and celebrate that way. I wanted some intentionality, some recognition of what is this milestone, what is this passage, and how can I recognize it for myself and within the context of my community. So I think that's what celebrants bring to celebrations and and passages is that intentionality along with you know if you're willing to invest yourself in being a humanist celebrant 
you develop an awful lot of skills. You have an awful lot of resources at your fingertips. When I talk to a couple about a wedding and I say, you know, do you want to include a reading in your wedding? And it's not going to be a reading from a holy book, but I have poetry and prose that, that count literally to the hundreds and they cross from ancient Persian poets to Dr. Seuss. And we can include a reading from any of those sources that speaks to you. And yeah. so my job as a celebrant is to get to know those people well enough to know what might speak to them. I'm not going to hand them my entire library and say, here, you go through it and figure it out. Oh, okay. I'm going to offer them a handful of options and choices that hopefully will speak to them. And then they'll tell me what they want to use. And that's actually another distinction between celebrants and the religious ceremonies or passages is that most religious ceremonies and passages are very, very cookie cutter. They are so defined with including every ritual, every participant, every place you stand and thing you say. And with humanist celebrant led ceremonies and passages, I start with a blank sheet of paper when I sit down with a potential client and I say, what's important to you? What do you want to recognize about this moment? And tell me about who you are as a person or a couple or your loved one if we're doing a memorial service. So it's, it's really a very different experience than a traditional religious ceremony. One of the things that I hear people complain about or lament in their moving out of belief is the, what they see as a desert from any kind of solemnity or any kind of holiness or any kind of, of sacredness. And that's not something that we have to lose. Uh, mm -hmm. I, as a person, am very much uh, grounded in the reality and the use of the scientific method. Uh, that does not at all mean that there isn't sacredness in things uh, that are not supernatural. Sharing these rites of passage and these other moments with, with our community binds us to that community and that uh, we, we need that deeply to be able to be, feel like we're part of the community and that we matter to them, that they matter to us. The religions have, in my mind, taken over many of the milestone moments in life. And the only way available to most people to recognize those moments is in a religious context. And when we provide a secular way to, to mark those moments, to stop from the crazy pace of everyday life and pause and recognize and contemplate what this moment means to us. And when we do that in community with others that are important to us, I think those are pretty special moments. And that's what humanist celebrants can facilitate for people. So Kathy, what are some examples that you had worked on some ways of, say, allowing the family of a couple who are getting married to incorporate religion into the ceremony without your having to yourself, say, read a passage from the Bible? If you could just tell folks a little bit about that. Sure. When we're celebrating important passages in life, we do it in a, in a community and not everyone in that group is going to have the same religious or secular beliefs. And 
you want the people that are recognizing the moment, the couple or the individual or the family, to be able to be authentic and have a secular ceremony. But you also want to respect the fact that all the people sitting out in the chairs may be coming from very different places. So I've encountered couples, for example, in weddings who they personally don't have a religious belief, but they know that grandma is going to be sitting out there and she's really not going to consider them married unless there is some kind of a religious aspect to the ceremony. I've had some couples want a reading from the Bible. I've had other couples, one couple that wanted to do the Lord's Prayer. I am not comfortable as a humanist celebrant leading those activities. To me, that is inauthentic for me since I do not hold those beliefs. But if a family member wants to offer a Bible reading or a brother of the bride in one example that I had wants to lead the group in the Lord's Prayer, I will stand off to the side and allow that to happen. That's my personal balance point. And every humanist celebrant is given the latitude to define where their comfort level is. I know some humanist celebrants who do not allow a word of anything that smacks of religion anywhere near their ceremony. And honestly, if they want more than I'm comfortable with, I will refer them to other celebrants or officiants in my area that I know of who will comfortably do a religious ceremony. I'm not the right choice for them. I'm not the best choice for them. And I'm just very upfront about that. To me, the ceremony belongs to the people that are being honored. And so we need to find a way that is comfortable and ethical for all of us to meet the needs of those honorees. What's, what's your business like as far as how often you're called to, to do work? Well, this last year with COVID has been a totally abnormal year in yeah. many, many ways. Uh, generally, before COVID, I would do anywhere between 30 and 40, what I call full custom ceremonies a year, weddings. Oh. Baby namings and memorial services kind of drop in around the edges. Um, when I'm requested to do those, and I might do two or three of each a year, that's a full year for me. Okay. And in COVID, during the COVID pandemic, the whole the whole demand changed in that we had many people who were planning 2020 big weddings and then couldn't hold them so i had a lot of couples who came to me because they just wanted to be legally married either they had been through an engagement period and they were just ready to start their married life or one of them worked in healthcare and they were concerned that they were going to be very much exposed to the pandemic and they wanted to have spousal rights if that should happen. One of the couple lost a job, and so they wanted to get the other person on their health insurance, right. which, of course, you can only do when you're married in this country. So there were lots of different reasons that people wanted to be just legally married. But I did 50 ceremonies last year with only a handful, probably less than five, being the full custom ceremony because we closed down so early in the year. And the rest of them were all these very quick and simple certificate signings that, you know, I tried to do a little bit of personalization on. But honestly, we didn't want to spend a lot of time with each other. 
uh, we wanted to minimize our, our risk and exposure to COVID. So of very different kind of year. I expect this year is going to be kind of a hybrid of the two. I've already done quite a few of the simple certificate signings and the requests are starting to flow in for the back half of the year for people looking for the full custom ceremonies. Interesting. How, how do you advertise? Where do you, where do you look for, for leads? Well, these days I've done over 400 ceremonies in my 11 years. So a fair number of people contact me either because they've seen me do a ceremony or someone that I've done a ceremony for has referred me to them. Um, so that's a, probably about a third of the inquiries that I get these days. And the other thing is I always say Google is my friend. I have, you know, a Google business page. I have a website. I have a Facebook page. I blog every couple weeks and make sure that I post that everywhere I can. So it's, it's mostly online. And I'm finding that especially these days, that's where, where people who are getting married, people in their 20s and 30s and, and even older, that's where they go looking for an officiant or a celebrant is online. Yeah. Have you ever experienced any, oh, I don't know, a hostile relative at a, at a ceremony? How have you dealt with that if you have? It's really interesting. I have had a few couples who were very concerned, usually about how a grandparent was going to take the ceremony. They wanted to have a non-religious ceremony, but they were concerned how grandma or grandpa was going to react to that. And in more than one occasion, it is those grandparents who approach me after the ceremony and say, that was the best ceremony I've ever been to. That was the best wedding I've oh. ever seen. And I think it's because it's different than those very trite, organized religious ceremonies where all you do yeah, yeah. drop in the person's name a few times, and that's the same as everybody else's. So I've had that experience, which is kind of the opposite of what you were asking about, Vincent. But I, I think I've never had someone come up to me and be negative to my face. I would expect there probably mm. have been people over 400 ceremonies who were not thrilled with what I did, but they've never approached me about it after the ceremony. When you... Uh went out and searched for a non-religious person to help to help you with the the celebration of your 25th uh, wedding uh, anniversary. Uh, what did you find in your area? No, I found nothing in my area in terms of a celebrant or or even a humanist group. The closest humanist group, you know, an affiliated group with the American Humanist Association for me is still 80 miles north in Minneapolis, St. Paul. Okay. Within our area, I live in a community of about 100,000 people. So we don't have enough out visible secular people to have an atheist organization and a humanist organization and a free thinkers organization and a skeptical thinkers organization. So we have an umbrella term. We are the Rochester area free thinkers and we welcome anyone who identifies as any of those other groups. So I did find that group and they've become an important part of my community, but they did not have celebrants. So they were, they didn't meet that need for me. Right. It was right. really the, the humanist society and finding the, that there were people called endorsed humanist celebrants out there. That was the eye opening thing for me.
is Vermont is rife with cute little barns that have weddings. Might be a good place to drop my cards. When I first started out, I made myself a list of what were the primary wedding venues in my area, and I contacted each of those uh, managers or salespeople, whoever the right person appeared to be, and I asked for a meeting with them. And I took a bunch of my business cards with me, and I went. And I went for a couple of reasons. One was I wanted to see their venue, so that when I was talking to potential clients, and they said, "Oh, we're having our wedding at, for example, the Stone Barn." I knew what that venue looked like. And I could say, oh, and you'll enter from this area and here's where the ceremony will be set up. And I could act like I really knew what I was talking about. And as a brand new celebrant who hadn't done a single wedding yet, I needed all the gravitas that I could come up with. And then the other thing was by making myself known to those people who worked at those venues, I could say, if you have someone who's looking for a non-religious or secular ceremony, please hand them my card because that's what I do. And I know there are couples that struggle to find someone like me, especially here in the Midwest where religion is still very much a big deal. And that, yeah. that approach worked very well for me. I got many leads from those venue managers. Where would you steer people to, to find a guidebook on how to run your business as a humanist celebrant. When you become an endorsed humanist celebrant, you get access to the professional development section of the humanistsociety.org's website. And that professional development section has all kinds of resources from how to write a ceremony to information on what you might want to consider when you set up your business. There is actually a module that's available, kind of a, an online class that includes both aspects of how to create ceremony and how to create your business as a celebrant. There's also uh, a couple of books that have been published within the last handful of years. You can access them from the professional development section of the website also. So that would be the first place I would point people. However, I will also point out that every celebrant that I've ever met has their own approach to running their business. So there really isn't a guidebook with a list of, you know, follow points A to Z and you're set to go. There are celebrants who only do volunteer ceremonies. They never accept a dime in compensation. There are celebrants who only serve their community. So if they're a part of a free thinkers group or a humanist chapter, they will only do ceremonies for people in that group. Uh, there are others who are interested in reaching far broader and wider and actually hopefully, you know, making a living doing this. And they have a different set of concerns. They want to know about taxes. They want to know about legal uh, structures for their business. Should I be an LLC or an S Corp, for example? You know, there are just a ton of questions and there unfortunately is not a single answer because it depends on what you want to do with your practice. I have been reconnoitering on the professional pages of the website and I've just, I'm really impressed. You, you have, you all have done a great job at setting up, making it very easy to find the information, great information, varied information. Uh, so I wanted to thank you for for the uh, the 
effort you guys have made. It's it's a great site and it's, a, uh, it's been helpful to me. Thank you. I cannot take any personal credit for it other than some of the ideas that are behind it, but I will certainly pass your appreciation on to the staff that put that together for us and continue to keep it up. For example, we have a quarterly uh, video session for celebrants with an idea of creating both professional community and skill building. And each of those sessions are recorded and placed out in the professional development section. So for example, let's say you've been asked to do your first memorial service and you aren't really sure where to start. There was a video conference held where some of our most experienced funeral celebrants shared some of their best practices and some of their tips and techniques. So that would be a great place to go and spend an hour getting the, the grounding to, to build on. I have seen that there are a master's degree program to learn about and become deeper uh, knowledgeable of the history of the humanist movement and, and what it stands for. Would that help someone in their work as a celebrant? The master's courses are really more of an academic experience. Yeah. If you want to develop your own knowledge of humanism and understand it at a much deeper level, they are wonderful. I do know people that have completed the courses. I know people that are taking them now. They are not celebrant focused. They are humanism focused right. and they're actually right. provided by the AHA, not the humanist society. They have allowed us to put them on our professional development page for our celebrants, but it is not our material. One of the things that I'm considering here in my little corner of Vermont is uh, helping to found a uh, free thinkers humanist center. Part of that would be me as a celebrant, as a member of that community. Unlike a priest hmm. in a church, uh, the the priest has a central role in running that organization. He's, you know, the top of the the pole, the rabbi as well, the imam. It's not that way with, with celebrants. The celebrant would just be yet another respected member of that community. Yes and no. Um, in my personal experience, I served on the board of my local Freethinkers organization. I was a humanist celebrant at that time, but that isn't why I did it. Um, it was because I was a part of that community and wanted to give back to them. But my, you know, I am a celebrant, so that kind of comes along with me no matter what other role I take. Yeah. But you're absolutely right. In humanism, there is no hierarchy. Mm -hmm. Just like there is no dogma, we don't have a, a leader per se. Usually in the chapters, if, if, you want, if you're starting out and you want to do an AHA chapter, you can get all kinds of support for doing that from the AHA staff. They're wonderful. They have packages and everything that can help you get started. You'll probably want to have a board, and you certainly would probably be on that board if you're the founder, but your celebrant title comes with you, but it is, does not define you in that role. Kathy, do people come to you for um, uh, like counseling? Not not confession. I don't mean that. Do people just assume that that is a, a part of what you would offer? We try to make it very clear that unless you have secular training and credentialing as a therapist or counselor, you should not try to take on the role of counselor just because you carry a humanist celebrant title. 
uh, you have not had deep training in therapy or counseling in order to get your humanist celebrant credentials. So we strongly encourage our celebrants to separate those roles. It's ideal if, if as an individual, you do not have that background, if you can become knowledgeable in secular therapists or counselors in your area, because you're right, people will have a tendency to approach you because of your celebrant title and ask for counseling or therapy type support. If you can hand them a reference or two, that's a, the best that you should do, unless you have that other training as another part of your background. Part of the, the training I got with, for, with uh, RFR, because I'm a, a volunteer for recovering from religion, is we're peer counselors, which means we can give you our opinion and give you some resources and that's it. And don't take our opinion as counseling. <laughs> and I would say the same is very true as a celebrant. You know, if someone wants to come and talk with you as a friend or a, or a fellow member of a local organization, you can certainly speak with them, but make it clear, as you said, that you are not in a therapist or counselor kind of situation. So it's a really important point to, to distinguish. Because I found that to be the most difficult thing uh, as a volunteer for recovery from religion is, you know, on the one hand, you don't want to just tell people what to do. Uh, and, but on the other hand, I mean, if I'm not at least giving folks some practical options, what do they need me for anyway? I should just point them to a, a page of, of resources and tell them to, to go there. People who would know that I'm a, a recognized celebrant humanist, people could just assume that that's part of my role. And I'm glad to hear that it's such a pragmatic response to that. Yeah, I mean, I want to be able to help people, but not be a therapist. As humanist celebrants, we are often the first face of humanism to other people. People may not have ever heard the word humanism. They might not have any idea what it refers to. So I encourage all humanist celebrants to come up with a little elevator speech. So when the person walks up to you after the ceremony that you've officiated and says, so what is this humanism thing? Or what church are you affiliated with is another way they sometimes ask that question. You want to be able to explain briefly what humanism is and then you want to be able to, if they have further questions, point them to a resource. And the resource that I will usually point them to is the Humanist Manifesto 3, which is the overarching philosophy or worldview that humanists ascribe to. Tell us your elevator speech. I'd love to hear it. I would say that humanism is a non-theistic worldview that encourages us to live happy, well-fulfilled lives while being of service to our communities. Wow, that's like, not only is that the elevator speech, that's the elevator speech between two floors. I should come to you for some lessons in brevity. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> you know, attention spans are short these days, so a few fewer words is better. Oh, hold on one second. I'm having some connectivity issues. I just want to change, change my connection. Do you want me to just a second? Sure, sure. Oh. <laughs> Apologize. Just, wow, it sounds exciting. 
What are you all laughing about? So, uh, Kathy, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been very enlightening. We've had a great talk and we're just so thankful that you were willing to take time out uh, to come and share your experience and your thoughts for the qu basic questions that we have. Thank you very much for having me. It's been a pleasure. So this is Chris West for Vincent Downing and the rest of us here at the When Humans Attack crew. I want to thank uh, Robin, our tech guy, for all the hard work he puts in. And until next time, have a great day. And just remember, when humanists attack, they criticize your epistemology. Thank you very much and have a good rest of your day. <laughs>